Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral, buy rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. Two thousand and twenty-four, and this is Pollock and Thurston. Happy New Year, Brandon. Happy New Year. It's uh it's a new year, and we finally have snow here in Buffalo. We have gotten a we we got snow on New Year's Eve of all nights, and yeah. um, has kind of uh, dissipated in in the days since. Can't it's say it's coming is, down right now in the last. Oh, is it half oh, hour wow. or so? Yeah. This is a rarity that we have Buffalo and Toronto at odds when it comes to weather. No, no snow at all. We're actually above uh, zero Celsius today. So, uh, for more on the weather, uh, stick around. Maybe at the end we will uh, we will go through all of our changes over the past couple of weeks. But we have a lot to get to, Brandon, because to kick off Pollock and Thurston in 2024, not one but two guests that you have lined up for us today. Yes, we're going to talk to Phil Strom, who was at the press conference uh, for World's End this past Saturday. And then later, we're going to talk to Chris Samsa about Wrestle Kingdom. The Chris Samsa. The, the Chris Samsa on Twitter, Wrestle Kingdom. I cannot say his name without the, uh, like Kevin Kelly's voice in, in uh, the back of my head, always emphasizing the. But we are also going to be joined, as, we, as Brandon just mentioned, by the Phil Strum, who was there. The, the, the Strum Scrum that we had on uh, Saturday night following the World's End pay-per-view. Phil, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us, and uh, we will make sure to get all of your information out there because you did a lot of uh, great work uh, over the weekend at the press conference. This was, I would say, one of the more significant press conferences AEW has held given the allegations that had uh, permeated throughout the day leading into World's End. And I want to just go back to Saturday and sort of just what you sense being there in the arena and the vibe before Chris Jericho came out, during and after, if you can give us a sense of just the immediate reaction in your area that you were situated at. Yeah, sure. First of all, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, you know, on my on my way down to the arena, I, I, I took a train and then I had somebody pick me up and drive there. And, you know, as I was looking at the, the news and uh, as I was looking at Twitter during the day, I kind of saw what was developing uh, with what was out there regarding uh you know the allegations regarding Chris Jericho and sexual misconduct uh kind of knew in that point that I you know probably needed to be brought up in the setting that I was in uh in the scrum if somebody didn't bring it up that wasn't me so um yeah in the arena you know their reaction to him was what it was I found, I'm pretty sure it was audible over the air of people chanting uh NDA at him and other things like that um yeah, and just uh, and, and afterwards, it was just uh, th- those scrums are kind of unique. Just that that was my first time uh, actually at an AEW pay per view because uh, I, I, I had not been to the other one that was uh, local. I think it was Newark last year. I didn't go to that one, but um, so I, I kind of uh, who's in those scrums is kind of unique too because it's kind of a mixture of media and influencers and all sorts of other things in there podcasters, you know, all sorts of different levels of, are you going to get like journalism? Are you going to get whatever? So, um, 
but uh, I was aware of kind of what the <clears throat> the temperature of that was on Twitter and online and what people were talking about during the press conference too, being able to check my phone during it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a unique day. Um, I, I will say I'm not, I wasn't terribly surprised by the answers that were given by Tony Khan. Um, and the other thing I'll just say is that I think that the most important part out of what's going on right now is it's not necessarily about Nick Hausman, Chris Jericho, this one, that one. I think it's probably more important right now that we have an answer to the question of do people, do employees, do independent contractors within these companies have a place to go if they have an issue? Is there a hotline? Is there an HR person? Something like that. Because Tony's saying my door is open. That's great. And I don't doubt that at all. But at the same time, he's close to Chris Jericho. If his door is open and Chris Jericho is also on his staff, that still creates a, a bad kind of situation for whomever might be, uh, you know, giving a complaint. So that's, that's kind of what I thought of the whole deal. It was, it's, it's been kind of a strange couple of days. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to imagine how somebody who, who may have a problem would be afraid to bring that problem up to their boss if, you know, if they're not sure that there's really going to be an, an independent investigation into what happened. And I think wrestling is so different than so many workplaces too, because I, I mean, if you look just even in the history of the business, it's always kind of been its own sort of, you know, biosphere. Like it's just been the, the decision makers make the decisions and you're either in or you're out or you're, pissing off the wrong person you know it's just it's 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 a, it's a different type of work environment but probably one that needs a refresher for 2024 yeah and obviously when a story like this is being um adjudicated and that's probably not the best word for it online you are yeah. going to get a lot of emotional responses and it's going to be a lot of people jet that are just going to be throwing everything out there. And I think it's very important to sort of step back and look at what are the pertinent questions that come out of this. And I think that number one, I would state that it, it this is one where I think we just want to know, is there something here beyond this? I don't think you can cast an indictment based off of uh, Kylie Ray's one emoji post but that said, she willingly volunteered something that at least requires follow-up. And to me, that would have been, if I'm AEW, something that, at the very least, we are contacting Kylie Ray and going from there. This is not calling for Chris Jericho's head. This yeah. is simply, what was the meaning of this? Let's eliminate the many, many questions that are out there, and hopefully we can find some, some way to get a semblance of what did occur or what did not occur. Yeah, that's why the question that I asked, I, I just kind of got straight to the point of is Chris Jericho under investigation or was he at any time that he's been in AEW for sexual misconduct or any other type of misconduct? Um, just to, you know, ask the direct question, not, you know, a, a couple of other people wanted to talk about sort of the environment and that kind of stuff, which led Tony into the safety comments and that kind of thing. I just wanted to get to the crux of the matter of just, is this a thing or is this not a thing? You know, but we still kind of don't even know. <laughs> yeah. 
And he didn't really answer the question. He, he said, uh, as you said, he talked about safety and that AW is the safest wrestling company in the world. Um, he talked about how there's an open door to the discipline committee, which may have not existed in 2020 or, or 2019 when Kylie Ray was with the company. Um, and yeah, he, he talked about how, um, a lot about safety and did not directly answer the question whether there was investigation at that time in 2020 or 2019 or, or, and whether, uh, or whether or not it's something that they haven't looked into. And I think that goes as well toward the point you made, Phil, is that if you're someone that is sitting down and watching that press conference, and I'm speaking more from sort of, if you are somebody within AEW and this message is being sent that my door is always open I think you could very much leave that press conference with the idea that Tony is not going to necessarily be pursuing this further. I mean, that was not conveyed in the sense that we are going to look into this. We cannot comment further, but obviously there is going to be, you know, something that would lead you to believe that we are going to look into this. And if you're somebody that has that concern about, can I go to Tony Khan? You watch this press conference and may feel that, you know, this is something that is not going to necessitate anything further beyond these questions that we're going to take because we had a pay-per-view tonight and the idea that people will move on from this. And I can see people coming to that conclusion, whether that's fair or unfair on, mm-hmm. on Tony Khan's behalf, but he did not, he did not lead you to that position that there's any kind of, you know, second step in this process for them. And I, I think AEW deserves a lot of credit over time for the transparency that they have welcomed um, prior to them doing media scrums, we really weren't seeing a lot of things open up to media, access to media um, that, you know, necessarily people like us would have. Um, so, you know, hopefully some of this questioning leads them to kind of maybe look at their own internal, you know, machinations and figure out, all right, how do we make this a better workplace for like I said, employees, independent contractors for people to be comfortable because that, you know, one thing they have done is that they, they, they have kind of supported a very inclusive kind of workplace and one that's, that seems at least from the outside looking in that it is a good place to work. So, um, hopefully, you know, some of these discussions can be, you know, constructive and hopefully they can also sort of inform other areas of, the wrestling business, because you know what? The stuff's not going to change. People still are going to need a place to go if something happens. And, um, you know, if they, if they can kind of lead on this, then great. But, uh, it just, it seemed like there wasn't really a solid answer right now for what that is or, you know, when it would happen. As well. And, Maybe I'll throw this up to you, Brandon. Um, you know, Chris Jericho has obviously not, not commented on this. He has not stated anything, uh, publicly, uh, since this came out. Uh, just for transparency's sake, I, I have reached out, uh, directly to give him the chance to, you know, provide a, a statement or respond. And he has, he has not responded. Um, you know, if, if you are Chris Jericho, I, th- I think tonight we'll be telling if he is on the show and if he is number one on the show, number two, if he is there in front of the arena and what kind of reaction, uh, it elicits. And if it is, uh, back, back to the usual, I mean, this is sort of like what we have seen in a lot of cases is that the news cycle, um, does move on from this. And that's, that, that is a strategy that is put into place in, in a lot of these. And like, we don't necessarily have the mechanism to necessarily see 
Um, like it really comes down to just if there is a controversy that they feel there is a need to address versus just continuing onward as if nothing was happening. And that was obviously the plan on Saturday because that match was structured in such a way that it was like they, there was not one change that was going to be uh, altered based on the fact of this story that had been brewing all day long. Yeah, and, and for one thing, it's it's at a pay-per-view. So maybe you want to say that there's more hardcore and more aware, internet-aware crowd there you know, at, at NASA Coliseum. But I would not expect him in front of a live crowd, at least tonight. I would kind of expect that they're going to try to lay low and see if this will blow over so it doesn't have to be dealt with further. And I think, too, like, you know, I am not doing a lot of writing these days. I have a weekly podcast that I do. So it's it's kind of incumbent upon you know the folks that are doing wrestling journalism a little bit more than i am in uh in 2024 to kind of follow up on this as the best as they can you know I, i'm in that room that is a bizarre setting in those scrums where you're trying to figure out where your question fits into the format that you're getting i was trying to wait for just tony to be up there only because I didn't want another talent with him that had to awkwardly sit there beside him while I'm answering, asking the question about this and either have to sort of look like they agree with him or not. Like it's not a good place to put the talent in that's in that case. They're not really the ones that need to be answering. Tony is. So, um, and also, I mean, you literally in those press conferences have Tony storm and her hat and glasses get up that she's putting on Tony God. Like it's a, it's a mixture of hard news and like performance art, which is, uh, unlike most uh, scrums or in like sports media that I've ever been a part of. And, and what happened was Tony Storm gave him the hat and he put on the glasses too. And then when um, Julia Hart was out, he still left the hat and glasses on and took a question uh, fr- from a reporter about uh, th- that didn't name Chris Jericho and, and didn't name Kylie Ray, but named, uh, you know, just asked about workplace safety or, or something of that nature. And he proceeded to answer the question with this hat and glasses on. Um, eventually, I mean, you, you saw it firsthand. You, maybe you could tell us more about what happened there. But eventually, Adam Hopkins, who's, who works PR for AEW, came up to the, the table after he, I think right after he asked that question, right? And uh, after he answered that question and took the glasses and, and hat from him. So, yeah, he brought some water over, and then I, I, Tony, I think even said like that he didn't even realize that he was still, that he still had it on his head. Yeah, it, it just strikes me that he was not self-aware enough to realize that when you're a- answering a question that's related to sexual harassment, sexual misconduct in the worst workplace, um, that that maybe you shouldn't be wearing a funny outfit when you do that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure this image was um, going through Adam Hopkins' head of what was going to be coming out of the, this press conference, and, uh, and and it was. I mean, uh, not not like the headline coming out of this press conference, but um, yeah, I think it just it, it does underscore just what you said, Phil, of like in a nutshell, what these press conferences are like, it's part theater and it's part serious. And we mixed the two together. And this was the ultimate Venn diagram of seeing an extremely significant, serious story being addressed in with, with this, this comical display on, on, on hand for everybody. Yeah. And I, I've worked in news for roughly 20 something years now. And it's awkward for me to walk into a press conference where people are applauding because it's yep. just not, I mean, if anybody's ever been in a press box or, you know, a media scrum type situation, the first rule You're talking of those to two non-applauders here. 
Right. The first rule of that, it literally says sometimes on the press boxes that you're in, the number one rule, no applause. So like I can show my appreciation in other ways for what's happening, but I'm not going to sit there and hoot and holler and clap. Not everybody in that room is in the same realm all the time. So it's, it's a little bit strange. Even on some of the WWE ones that they've done, it's awkward because they come up there's on the stage a, and they're like, why there too. Why? but the, like the wrestlers at times when they're not are like, mm-hmm. why aren't they cheering for me? This is weird because <laughs> they get a full entrance with the music and everything like that. At WWE. And it's just, it's not the right setting for it. If you're making a legit like media conference. Yeah. And I think it is something that like the, the, the PR people who are standing off to the side will leave. Like they'll clap as somebody comes out. I think both in the case of WWE and, and AEW. Um, I mean, that does, doesn't excuse it, but I think it just speaks to the lack of experience that a lot of people people have in, in that situation. I didn't notice it, uh, to be honest with you, on Saturday. I didn't notice to see if there was anybody. I just wasn't doing it myself, so I didn't see who was like leading it or not. Um, but I think one other thing to note, too, about those scrums is that, like, I saw somebody mention that, like, oh, and they turned Kevin McElvaney's uh, mic off after he asked that question. They didn't turn it off. Like, you ask the question, and then you hand the microphone back to the person who handed it to you. So yes. if you've been given a follow-up, it, look, if you're still exchanging with him, it's just that you don't have the microphone in your hand anymore. It wasn't that they shut anything off that he was doing. He just they handed back the microphone after he was done answering, asking his question. And, and so people know this is kind of what happens on, on the media calls too. You get to answer your question. And as soon as you're done talking, you get muted. I have been unmuted now twice. To, to <laughs> yes, this happened to you last week. <laughs> I get, un- I've been unmuted a couple times now when, when Tony has decided to ask me a question at, in response to my question, but, but that's rare. And then sometimes the mute button also malfunctions too. And I've seen that happen plenty of times also where people are attempting to be unmuted and can't. So. I'm curious from your standpoint, Phil, especially having like the news background that you do. And I mean, this is certainly something that I think has escalated, you know, post speaking out is sort of the mechanisms that we have in place when it comes to the handling and reporting of stories such as this. When you're talking about a lot of wrestling sites that are independent sites that do not necessarily have the backing of of newsrooms that do not have the legal support in in cases like this. I mean, where. Just just some of your broad thoughts on where, like, the wrestling media's role in a lot of these stories and the fact that many of them, they do have to come forward from the the person in question that is going to address this on a platform like like a Twitter or a, a third party. I think the most important thing for all of those sites to consider is... And I know it's come up a lot of times about wrestling media is that by and large, a lot of what you end up with in wrestling media ends up needing to be through anonymous sources, which I completely understand from a wrestling perspective, because it's a lot of times the only way that you're going to get something. That said, business brother. Right. That said, on my side of things, working in media for the last uh, 19, 20 years, whatever it's been, um, I can count on one hand and still have fingers left the number of times that I was allowed to use an anonymous source in my own work. So it's, it's weird. It's weirdly counter kind of intuitive for me, but I understand completely why it's like that in wrestling. But I think that the people reporting on this need to be careful of who they are getting their information from. And is that source someone who will have firsthand knowledge of whether something happened or not. 
because what you don't want to happen is wrestlers and people within wrestling talk all the time. What you don't want is somebody that has a specific axe to grind, whether it's in media or in the locker room or something like that. Wrestling is very competitive. Also, you want to make sure that your sourcing is solid. And if it, even if it means talking to two, three, four people about the same thing to make sure that you've got it right, just get it right. Because if you have it first and you're wrong, you're not first. How do you feel about if PR, if the, if the public relations representative of, of a subject gives you something on background, how often would that be reported in, in sort of mainstream news? Cause this is, this is something that I think we deal with sometimes in wrestling. It's interesting. I, I can't say that I've gotten that a whole lot at all in wrestling just for my own, you know, what my interactions have been. I, I think it really just depends on the sensitivity of the topic. Um, and, and how big of a deal it is because, you know, I can even think of things in news where somebody says that, okay, well, we're going to give you this, but you have to hold it for an embargo for tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And you let them know, look, if you want to tell me what this is, tell me what this is. And then I'll determine with my editor whether or not we're going to honor that or not. But you don't determine to me when I break news. That's me. That's, that's our news organization that does that. So if you really want to tell me to give me the heads up that something's happening, great. But I, I, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, I think you, you need to keep as good of an arm's length as you can with that kind of stuff. Just so it's not, you don't want to become an arm of the PR. You need to still, and, and I've said this a couple of times lately, but wrestling is important to cover because it is a multi-million, multi-billion dollar industry, as you guys cover, obviously, in depth all the time. And it needs checks on it. And, you know, I think people lose sight of that sometimes, is that, that that's why the media function is so important in wrestling, because it's so many jobs. It's so many independent contractors who can't really go somewhere else who are, who are held to the position. So I think it's just, it all comes down to, you know, the media needs to hold these companies to accountability and not be the PR arm for them. I think in this in this case, getting back to the specific story at hand, it's it, it's largely going to be into those those settings that this is that this is brought up again, that this is still front of mind for people. And ultimately, if if we hear more for, from Kylie Ray, like. Again, she put this out there and has not removed, like, again, we can't read everything into that, but it opens the door for questions. And I think that's where we're at. And it's a tricky one because in many of these instances, we at least have a clear, like, allegation that is put out there of this happened to me. These are the circumstances. And here it's at least from the direct source in Kylie Ray, like, we don't even have that at this point. So this is a very unique one in that sense. And, and Chris Jericho is like, he has to have his side out there too. And he can ultimately do that when he so chooses. And I think, you know, you mentioned some of the speaking out stuff earlier too, with that, it was just kind of a, like a, an avalanche of stuff. And it was all sorts of allegations of all sorts of people all over the place, but they did have most of the time names attached to them. 
um, with, with, with the case, with this case, you know, I don't even know. I mean, we had the emoji. Is there somebody else that has a similar situation within AEW or somewhere else? I, you know, it's hard to even know because nobody's come forth, you know, to even corroborate the original part of this too. And the fact that Jericho himself is not even really accused of anything officially yet because there hasn't really been a formal kind of what happened here. Like, and there's certainly no, like, you know, crime or anything like that, or you can even go with on that. So it's, it's an accusation at best, but it's an accusation that isn't even necessarily coming from Mm -hmm. the accuser, which makes it even more difficult. While we have you here, I mean, being that this was your first uh, AEW show uh, covering it, um, can you just compare sort of just the, the environment versus uh, a WWE show? Like, certainly we have seen now the introduction of press conferences at uh, WWE, but just your, like, uh, aside from this, which was obviously overshadowing everything at, at the press <laughs> conference, um, uh, other takeaways just from the, the experience of, of covering this event? AEW does a great job on their pay-per-views and that's, that's really their, their calling card right now. Um, I haven't covered any, uh, WWE pay-per-views from a media standpoint either. I've been to a lot of WWE pay-per-views over the course of my life, but, um, I've never in a, in a, in a particular media role, but, um, yeah, the, the pay-per-view itself, you know, <laughs> wrestling's fun and I can enjoy watching it. So, um, the, you know, from that, from that side of things, uh, it, it was, it was really good. I think, I think there were a lot of questions people were left with at the end of it, whether it was about MJF and what he's going to be doing for the next several months, uh, you know, where everything's going with that. Um, you know, obviously Eddie Kingston's, uh, win was, uh, was pretty exciting to see in person. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it, it, I, I, I've been to a few AW big shows before. I went to all the Grand Slam shows and I went to, I've been to one Dynamite. I've been to one Collision outside of that too. Just never something that had the official media thing attached to it. So, um, their shows are enjoyable. I, I, I think I like a pay per view better than like a Collision, especially right now because the Collision tapings are just so long with the Ring of Honor before and after it. I went to one in Newark that was nearly six hours long. <laughs> And I like wrestling, but it, it, you know, eventually even I get tired of it. So, um, yeah. what time did you get out of this press conference at on Saturday night? Two fifty. This was like a two and a half hour press conference. I, I was kind of ready for it to be long. Uh, luckily, I had a ride back to where I was going from my brother. But uh, yeah, two, I think we left Nassau Coliseum at two fifteen a.m. Unlike Brandon, who. Uh, I mean, did, did the, uh, the ultimate trip, of uh, after Forbidden Door of, uh, driving home to Buffalo after, after that press conference. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, like, like sitting there for, for two hours. I, I, I wonder, like, if you notice the difference too when you go to a WE press conference or if you just watch, if you're going to watch them right after the PLE is over with, it's, it like starts immediately. And in the case of the AEW press conferences, I, th- I think you guys were sitting there for about 45 minutes because I was, sitting Seems there like w- it, yeah. waiting for this to happen. And I think it usually does take around 20, 40 minutes. Um, and I think part of that is tied to the fact that Tony wants to sit next to each talent while they, while each one goes through and, and takes questions from the media instead of just doing his one-on-one time at the end. Um, which on one hand, it's nice that he's there and available for everybody to ask as many questions as they want. And, and he says things to that effect that he wants everybody who wants to ask a question to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's um, you end up being there, especially if you have to get your credential at like five right. five Eastern or whatever. You end up being there for like nine hours or something like that because the pay per view is five on its own. 
One thing that might be useful for them for future media stuff, like I remember I covered the WrestleMania. Oh gosh, what was the one in New Orleans? 30, the WrestleMania 30 press conference, which was at the Hard Rock Cafe in Manhattan. It was on actually the WWE network and I sat next to the camera. And I didn't even know I was sitting next to the camera. So my reaction to everything was live on the WWE network that day. Like my laughter, my inquisitive face, everything was just live on the WWE network. But with that, they just kind of whip right through. People say what they need to. If there's a couple of questions, they take them. But after that was over, there were individual media availabilities with the wrestlers and certain people. I only went to that one at 30 because Michael Cole is local to where I cover. So I did a one-on-one interview with Michael Cole after that was over. And that was pretty much the only reason I went there anyway, was just to get the access to him. But uh, I think if you had that where you just kind of like kept the actual presser brief and then just allowed access to whoever needed to like sort of like a locker room sort of like post game sort of thing. If you could make that happen, I think it would just be a lot more friendly for the the people watching at home too, because I, I, I don't think I want to watch, like I haven't watched back Saturday yet and I probably don't want to. Yeah. I'm always curious from some of the the talents, even this many years into it that go into the press conference and what, what their mindset is, in in terms of like what this is i think you could ask the different performers and they'd probably have different answers for you in terms of what they treat this as as this this is just an extension of what i was just doing out in front of an arena or you get someone like a brian danielson who i mean it's uh, like pretty transparent at these press conferences and you get a lot of insight from somebody like him and i'm sure they're not really given much direction either it's sort of just go out there and answer these questions however you see fit and if you want to treat this in character or out of character that's that's fine by them, but it does create this bizarre atmosphere where sometimes we get angle shot and sometimes we're addressing very serious topics such as Saturday. That's wrestling too, though. You know, even, you know, having dealt with wrestling media for, for a while, you never kind of know what you're going to get with each individual talent and how they're going to either be prepared for it or not prepared for it. Um, some of them are very, very protective of their personas and don't really like going out of character that much. Some of them don't want to be in the character at all if they're talking to you just as a regular human being. So that's kind of wrestling. And I think you kind of grasp that early on is that you kind of have to have a feel for it when you're asking the question of what I mean, it's, it's the reason I didn't ask Tony storm a question. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any idea how I fit into what she was doing. Like I didn't know what to ask. Uh, So I didn't even try. So well, Phil, we appreciate you being out of character for the last half hour with us here on our show <laughs> to kick off uh, Pollock and Thurston for 2024. And I uh, do let all of our uh, listeners and viewers know where they can uh, go follow Under the Ring and any other uh, places you want to direct them to. Sure. Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations drops every Monday. It's uh, one-on-one interviews for the most part with me and other uh people in wrestling uh there's the link for it right there you can get it where you get your podcast apple spotify youtube that kind of thing it's also produced by usa today sports media group which is uh wrestling junkie mma junkie uh that kind of stuff uh this week's episode is actually a new year's edition with vic delicious from the now who's a great guy to break that stuff down next week we've got paul birchall on the show which should be okay. fun the pirate 
I look forward to it. Not anymore, though. <laughs> no, not anymore. But uh, going back uh, several, several years with Paul Burchill. But, uh, Phil, thank you uh, so much for, for joining us. Uh, great work on Saturday. And uh, overall, it was uh, great to have you on the show. Yeah, this was Thanks, a lot Phil. of fun. Thanks so much for the invitation. All right. Thank you, everyone. That was uh, Phil Strum joining us. And we're going to just keep it on going because now checking in with us, he is the Chris Samsa here on the eve of Wrestle Kingdom 18. Chris, welcome back to the show. A now two-time guest. On Hello. Hello. Thank Chris. you for having me. The what eve, you- I don't know, the afternoon of, right? We're, uh, I'm in the countdown mode. Well, tell me, tell me what your, your plans are. How, do, how are you, uh, like, what is your sleeping schedule ahead of uh, Wrestle Kingdom? Are you just <laughs> going to be going straight through from the moment this interview ends until uh, the end of Sonata Naito? I always like to say that I'm going to get a nap in or rest throughout the evening, um, but I don't. I haven't um, for the past, I don't know, six, seven, eight years that I've been trying to get up and do this thing live. So, no, I'll probably be up. Um, I'll hang around. I've got, you know got some construction happening at the house so it doesn't exactly um give me a lot of restful time in the afternoon but yeah so i'll uh i'll probably hang around i'll be tweeting frantically probably through random things that i continue to dig up in the stats and info world and um i'll order my pizza for my pizza place at about twelve ten, which is about the last time that they'll take an order and it'll it'll probably arrive here about twelve thirty, just in time for the rambo so and then yeah we're just up all night i'm uh I'm already on my caffeine drip, so I think I'll make it. And for, for people uh, who are listening in audio only, you are wearing, is that the official uh, this is, New, yeah. New Japan jacket? Yeah, I got the 2024 uh, New Japan tracksuit prior like to my, my little media tour this week, so I feel, I feel very official. Got the, the 2023 hung behind me as uh, blocking my wife's desk as she asks me to do whenever I do video. So, um, so are, are you like an official like member of the new Japan broadcast team in, in a sense. I am not, I am a, um, I guess I'm officially on the periphery of the new Japan broadcast team. So, um, but I have a, uh, I have a tracksuit fairy that likes to send me the official, uh, digs every, every year. So sometimes they arrive prior to the Russell kingdom tour. And sometimes after it's always a better year when they, uh, arrive prior. So we're, we're on a good, uh, we're on a good trajectory already. And do we have a, a two-man team with Walker Stewart and Chris Charlton on on the broadcast? That is my understanding. Yeah, I don't believe anyone else is joining them tonight. Yes, um, Walker Stewart, of course, is the uh, the, the recent addition to the New Japan broadcast team, re- replacing uh, Kevin Kelly. And um, I think I think that alone uh, will be notable right there because you know their their English broadcast uh, strategy has been something that has you know continued to evolve over a number of years at, at, at this point. And this is a big transition for, I would say, for a lot of casual New Japan fans that are going to be stopping in for this show that maybe have not checked in since the, the G1. And I guess as you look towards this, um, what, what would you say is, is grabbing the, the most attention in terms of the, the star power or, or match that you feel is going to be attracting the most fans this year? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's, um, I think it's pretty varied this year, actually. Last year, I think, um, Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega did a lot of the heavy lifting, especially kind of in our section of the world. And, you know, this year with, uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Brian Danielson sort of in that same spot, um, I feel like it's not quite giving it the kind of PR lift 
that you would imagine uh, that a match like that would give, probably because it's a rematch, mm-hmm. potentially because the first match didn't really um, land the way that I think that they they had kind of anticipated that it would. Um, the injury, you know, et cetera, things like that. We've kind of all talked that to death, I'm sure. So, but I think as you, as you go through the card, right? Like the lower end of the card has a lot of kind of what I appreciate, which is some of these new guys that are coming up. You've got a special single, singles match between Yotsuji and Yuyu Yuomura, which should be both a great match, but also just something establishing for the future, right? So we're, we're looking forward. We've got the New Japan World Television title in the second slot on the card, and that's um, Tanahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr., which is sort of this classic matchup. But I think we are seeing the elevation of Zack Sabre Jr. So I think something worth noting is that, you know, he's he's one of those guys that um, could very potentially carry sort of the English language fan base for a little while. Like, potentially, he's that next top English language speaking guy. So I think... Curious to see what happens with him here. If this is an opportunity for him to drop that title and elevate, um, as in the New Japan community, we like, we like to call that the classic losing up happens all the time, uh, especially on big, big New Japan shows. So, and then, you know, obviously as you go through the rest of the card, you've got some classic matchups. The junior heavyweight title match is Hiromu Takahashi versus El Desperado. Um, that's just, it's this long standing rivalry. It doesn't need a whole lot of, extra story to be told and then of course the main event right this whole show is really about Tetsuya Naito and will he win and does he get to finish the roll call and um the 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 Los Ingobernables roll call at the end and who does he include in that roll call right so if you're looking for sort of the story beat from the main event um kind of under running under the assumption that Tetsuya Naito is entering as a heavy favorite um, it's a little bit more about what happens afterwards and what is set up going forward. So um, New Japan's been in sort of a transitional phase, and I think that we're finally over the hump, and we kind of see who's going to be sticking around for a little while. So this is um, it's a great showcase of who's going to be uh, kind of a part of the company for the next you know year or two. And no better person to preview that main event than Keiji Muto earlier this week <laughs> on the New Japan website. That was just uh, what an astounding read this was of a uh, Keiji Muto just really wanting to separate you from your from your dollars to make sure you are plopped down to see um, the, the effects of a of a of a wild New Year's Eve sonata. I you know. I have, I've, I've been sober for almost 10 years, but even when I did drink, I don't think I ever had a three day hangover. So I think New Year's Eve is, is an okay open space for Sonata to let loose a little bit before, um, hitting the ring for the main event. Yeah. Well, as, as Mudo said, you know, he, he performs sometimes hungover, but never for the Tokyo. <laughs> never the dome. Yes. B- bizarre yes, of interview course. on the New Japan website, no less. Um, how would you look at, you know, New Japan is in this interesting state, and I'm glad you brought up the, the Yuya Yuimura and Yotasuji match, which I think is one of the most important matches on the on the card. And you sort of have the focus on like your future four, including like Ren Narita and Shota Umino there, that I think a lot of people are looking at as, you know, we saw many of their elevations, in particular Suji over the past year, and they're going to be called upon to be major players uh, this year and beyond. Because we're looking at a New Japan that there's the obvious questions that are going to pertain to Kazuchika Okada coming out of this show. There's, you know, Will Ospreay's pending departure. And then you have, you know, a John Moxley that is featured on this show. And like the makeup of New Japan could go through many changes in, in the months to come where an Osprey is only going to moonlight here every so often. And what is this main event mix going to look like come Wrestle Kingdom 19? 
Yeah, and that's got to be the hope. The hope has got to be that that special singles match with Yota Suji and Yu Yumura, and then that tag match with Keito Kimiya, um, Shota Umino, Ren Narita, and then, of course, Evil. Um, the, the hope's got to be that those guys are going to be the guys to carry the, to carry the banner as we go forward and elevate up the card, or maybe there's a, a year long story that gets told between Wrestle Kingdoms here. I have a lot of hope that some of these guys are either challenging for or holding titles when we roll into the Tokyo Dome next year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we finally have kind of the next generation all present, all accounted for, all ready to go, all kind of in their new units with their new characters and everything going on. Some of those guys have had, you know, a little bit longer. This is Yu Yuamura's first singles match back since Excursion. So um, that's very much a parallel to 2012 when Kazuchika Okada came back and his first singles match after Excursion was against Yoshihashi at that Wrestle Kingdom. And then, of course, he challenged um Hiroshi Tanahashi after that mm-hmm. dome show and then that led to the Rainmaker shock and and the rest is is truly history I mean it's the ascension of New Japan Pro Wrestling then so I don't know that we have another ascension ahead of us like quite like that but I I don't think that it's I don't think it's beyond New Japan to tell a, another version of that story with one of these guys and, and do you have a sense of um what New Japan World subscribers are at now as I was you know it was worth sitting here talking, I'm looking back and I see 116,000 paid subscribers was what Bushiro disclosed, which was as of January, 2021. Um, okay. I don't know if they, if you've heard of any number higher or any number more recent than January, 2021. I know that the last, the last thing that I heard about subscribers was after last year's Wrestle Kingdom, which was when um, Mercedes Monet debuted. We had a ton of, a ton of people kind of coming into the, the ecosystem, I guess. And I, if I recall correctly, I think they did reference that as a record breaking subscriber number. Um, they did some sort of press release or web post shortly thereafter. Um, since then it's been mostly quiet. Um, the, the easiest and, and kind of cleanest thing that I can find in regards to new Japan's business is generally ticket sales. Um, and specifically Russell kingdom or Tokyo dome, big, you know, big building ticket sales, and um, everything that I've heard, and I did ask around a little bit um, this past couple of weeks, is just how are ticket sales and what's going on is that um, everything is ahead of last year's ticket sales. And they're expecting a pretty strong walk up under the assumption that Tetsuya Naito is going to give everyone kind of that great moment at the end of the show. So, um, the you know, I think... If I'm kind of looking from the outside and, and, and reading between the lines, I think a 30,000 person dome tonight is a, is a big success. It's a big win. And it kind of puts it in the range of what they were doing pre pandemic, sort of. They had the big 2020 double dome where they broke 40 on one of the nights, but last um, year's number, which was also a one show. Sure. Wrestle Kingdom 26,085. Yeah. So I think they're looking potentially at a 10% increase, give or take. I know that. You know, just anecdotally, I've got a bunch of friends who did travel over this year and last year they didn't quite have the time to kind of put that trip together. So, you know, I think the, the traveling fan is something that I think they want to, you know, they want to get back. So I think that that's a good sign. So yeah, I think, I think they're feeling generally healthy and confident. And I think that they've probably discovered some cost efficiencies, um, in, in certain ways. We love cost efficiencies here. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Among, Oh, just just to, just to add to the the subscriber number, so I I, I do find from four eleven mania here the Wrestling Observer uh, newsletter reported this is 
this is a report from April, uh, that New Japan had 40,000 new subscribers in January, uh, and the high, the, the most live viewing ever, over 90,000. Right. Total subscribers were around 150 to 160,000, this says. Sounds about, I mean, that would, that would be the peak, I would imagine. Just based on kind of my, what I've paid attention to over the past five or six years. When it comes to like those you interact with that make the the trek over for this particular week, like do you get a sense that people are going over it's it's largely to see New Japan? Like how much do like the Noah and All Japan and Stardom cards like do, do you get the sense that people look at this sort of like a WrestleMania weekend where yes the Tokyo Dome is bringing you there, but it's all these other shows that kind of are of interest to, to people. Like what what is the health you would state of like? these other shows that, that we have and plenty going on this week. Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, it is very much a WrestleMania weekend sort of environment. There's a lot, there's a lot of shows from Noah to all Japan stardom. I mean, you name it, everyone's trying to run near the Tokyo dome. Um, and lucky them, there's a billion venues near the Tokyo dome to run. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think most of the people that I know got there prior to new year's and then they have gone to, you know, multiple shows already. And they're kind of making the most of this big wrestling trip and then also going out and seeing, you know, Tokyo or, or whatever areas of Japan that they choose to to hang around in. So, of course, have the people been? that are... Tr- what's up? Have you been to, to Tokyo? I have not. Okay. I'm waiting for the invite. Okay. I'm waiting for the, the official invite. Maybe that'll be the, the WrestleNomics post-wrestling road trip next year or flight trip uh, we, we can go on. Do we have a, do we have a, an updated number, Brandon, from the All Japan streaming service to monitor the Charlie Dempsey effect? I, I have not heard, uh, but uh, you can email me at Brandon at, at WrestleNomics.com if you have any tips on that. Okay. That's, uh, we, we will, we will seek to find out the, the All Japan Pro Wrestling streaming service. Um, as you look at, um, you know, the, the shift, I, I think it was largely taken positively, the reduction from two nights to one for the Tokyo Dome. But I certainly wouldn't discount the idea at some point of them exploring that again, even if it's an idea that we're not going to fill the dome two nights. But I mean, we saw, you know, with the, with the pandemic, like that second night really did give an assist to New Japan to like no one could have predicted what their business was going to look like over the next year. But I mean, do, do you have a preference at this point when it comes to assessing the the two nights versus one? I mean, one night's always going to be a better singular show. Um, so, and I, I think the roster is deep enough. I mean, there's so many great wrestlers out there in the world that are willing to jump in and you know work a, a New Japan show, um, especially a New Japan show at the Tokyo Dome. So you could fill it up pretty easily. But I think from a fan's perspective and from a public relations perspective. I think focusing all your energy into one night is is healthy. I think that you're going to get more bang for your buck that way. Um, and you're, you're not asking for too much of people's kind of unorthodox time, right? So if we're thinking about the American audience, right? Asking people to, I guess, either stay up all night or stay up late or watch early in the morning the next day so you don't get spoiled two nights in a row is much more challenging than, say, doing it just once, right? So I think that, um, loading it all into one great show is is probably the better move. And then we've got, I mean, coming out of this, uh, uh, you know, we can expect probably some big angles at New Year Dash the following day. And then they've got they've got to put together that whole Battle in the Valley card that is right around the corner on the 13th. They've got uh, Nagoya on the 20th and then Osaka February 11th. So it's it's a bunch of shows that I'm sure that they're going to be shooting 
angles for coming out of this. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who are some of the key people coming out of this show, because there's going to be some like top positions that are going to be needing to be filled. And I think you, you hit it on the head of Zack Sabre Jr., David Finley, obviously. And then your, your Japanese talent that they're in a position where I think you, you do need to fast track some people and they've laid the groundwork. I would say pretty effectively throughout this past year of sort of setting the table for this year to come. Yeah. And I think the, the focus for new Japan pro wrestling, if you know, from what I'm seeing is, is the domestic audience and selling tickets, right? So what we heard from new president Hiroshi Tanahashi was that his goal is to sell out the Tokyo dome uh, under his reign, under his reign as president of, New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, and that's, that's the, the clear focus for New Japan. It's always been sell more tickets. And it was the same through the pandemic. And we saw that through hundreds of hundreds of cards and buildings that were probably too big, but you wanted to maximize the number of tickets you could sell. And that's, that's their revenue stream. So, you know, when someone comes in and like Hiroshi Tanahashi and says we should put title matches in smaller cities and we want to sell out the Tokyo Dome, like those are the two things. And both of those things lead to, selling more tickets. So I think with that said, focusing on domestic talent with a lot less risk of um, someone like AEW or WWE coming along and saying, we can pay you a bunch and you can live a different life than touring around Japan um, for a guy like Will Ospreay or John Moxley, or even someone like David Finley, who is kind of always in that conversation too. Uh, you know, the, the Japanese talents are the ones that are going to rise, you know, lift New Japan, I think, back up into the point where guys want to drop in, um, you know, or, or, you know, I guess regenerate their careers there as opposed to a place like AEW. So I think it is really important that those, um, you know, younger Japanese born talents are really the featured acts in, in especially a show like Wrestle Kingdom where you're establishing kind of the next, uh, you know, really the next year, the next set of stories. And with the report, I think a couple of weeks ago that, uh, Kazuchiko Okada is possibly going to be represented by Barry Bloom, who's a well-known uh, agent for, for wrestlers. Um, obviously Okada is on this show. He's wrestling Brian Danielson. Uh, what do we have an idea of like when his deal would be up with new Japan? Because I, I have the memory that a lot of these deals will expire at the end of the year, or maybe it is just after Russell kingdom. Right. So it's usually, end of January or end of February for almost all new Japan deals, as far as I know and have been told. And, you know, the wrestlers that I've, I've ever talked to, like that's the timeline. So, you know, typically this time from wrestle kingdom through say the end of February is kind of what's considered new Japan contract season. So that's when those guys, um, almost everyone needs a renewal of their contract because that's pretty much a guarantee for most of the, that they'll get an offer for most of the talent. Um, but it's a matter of if they come to terms. Um, most of the Japanese talent, it's, it's no brainer. They come to terms. There's a lot of loyalty. Um, you know, guys with other options or guys that aren't necessarily, you know, born and bred in the New Japan system, they may be looking elsewhere. Or if you're at, a, at the level of Kazuchika Okada or you're recognizing that you only have, you know, a certain window that you want to go and live in America or try that out, then of course, maybe the feelers are going to go out there, but, um, those conversations or those, I guess, rumors have really quieted down, even within the people that I know had sourced those rumors, um, sourced the, the, the information. Um, it sounds like things have calmed down, um, 
in relation and maybe in conjunction with Hiroshi Tanahashi being, you know, a, a really powerful representative now in the New Japan office. Do you know, are they still doing the, the one year annual deals for most talents? I, I remember that being a big issue with how way back, like Ko- Kojima and Muto were both able to leave New Japan in like 2002 at the same time. Yeah, my understanding is that not much has changed in that way. Um, I do know that there's special circumstances, certainly for guys like Kazuchika Okada or probably Tetsuya Naito, big top guys. Um, and, uh, it's like maybe they had longer term deals than one potentially. Year. Um, and foreign talents. We know that Will Ospreay was on a five year deal where, um, you know, that is, that is expiring here in the next couple of months. So I think that there are certainly special circumstances, but I think the, the majority of the, the roster still has that kind of annual rollover situation. Just dangling Yujiro Takahashi <laughs> out there for all the places to bid. Yeah. It, it seems like a big risk to like have a big swath of your talent. All their deals are going to expire at the same time. If sure. they wanted to raid you, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, hey, let's just turn the lights on and let everyone know exactly what you It's sort we're, of, we're, we're my idle. understanding is it's just sort of, and Karen Peterson's in the chat, uh, kind of explaining some oh. of this. So, um, and bless Karen, your Karen's wonderful. Um, there we go. so, but yeah, my understanding is the same as, as I believe Karen's is that, you know, this is just common. It's how it, how it works over there, right? It's not, it, I, I think the, the large swaths of money don't come in the same way. And like I said, like it's trickling in with ticket sales and things like that. They don't have big TV rights deals. So, you know, over committing the finances would be potentially catastrophic. So I think that this is just a way to, to accomplish what they need to. And honestly, it seems to have worked for the last 50 some odd years, uh, pretty well. Every now and then you see someone make the jump that's surprising, but otherwise, um, you know, if, if the work environment is a positive, and uh, guys are, are gaining stature by by spending time in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which many do. Um, you know, it'll still be a desirable place to to go and and practice the craft. Yeah, it, it seems like what Karen's saying is this is common throughout the country. It's not just particular Correct. to to the wrestling industry. Um, with uh, with with John mentioned Charlie Dempsey showing up uh, to wrestle for the All Japan Triple Crown, uh, and you know there's there's other things and the the discussion around well maybe will Okada go to WWE or something like that and, and uh, Nakajima uh, just left Noah right I, I've read that Shuji Ichikawa yep. has left what what is who is he with he's he with was with All Japan, Japan. Japan All Japan, All Japan. yeah so, so that is this like is is does this make it easier for WWE to do something in Japan? Is, is, do you get any sense that that's in, in the works? I mean, I think that there's always that, there's always that chance. And I think that uh, there, there's been a lot of different situations that WWE has clearly dipped their toe in or, or, or put the feelers out with. I know Noah was, was on the table quite a while ago before the cyber fight acquisition. And, you know, all Japan is, uh, all Japan's a great, name but the the lineage of all japan doesn't necessarily tie exactly back to baba and and all that so mm-hmm. that it all japan is a a great run independent right now they're they're one of the few you know wrestling companies in japan that you kind of see on streaming services that is kind of held in some regard that doesn't have a major financial backer so um is the door open for wwe to you know step in and do something i i i would be silly to say no um, so especially given that, that this Charlie Dempsey, William Regal, NXT, all Japan thing is, is happening, but, um, we're also seeing, you know, we're starting to hear some, 
some things in the background at All Japan that people people who have been there for a little while are not happy with the situation. So, you know, I guess we'll we'll see where it goes. Wouldn't be the first time there was an exodus from uh, from All Japan. So, um, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, I put put this cursed image of uh, what looks like Corcoran Hall, Vince McMahon and Giant Baba shaking hands in the middle of the ring. <laughs> It'd be a fly on the wall for, for this car ride over. Could you imagine? My last question for you, Chris, is, you know, with, with the recent uh, uh, changeover, how do you think the, the Takami Obara, Obari era is going to be remembered? I mean, he came in replacing like Harold May, and this is like in the midst of the, the pandemic and such. I mean, how, how will this period be, be remembered under Obari's watch? Well, I think the the whole beginning of the Bushi Road period that kind of ends with Hiroshi Tanahashi coming into kind of leadership is it, it was all driven by business guys, right? Like guys that were very, very um, capable of growing a business, but not necessarily knowledgeable about growing, building or maintaining a professional wrestling business. Um, you know, there, there, it, there's things that are coming out now that Obari said that you know, he didn't seem to care that Kazuchika Okada was willing to leave because he's just the lead actor in a touring show. And that's not the, that's just not how it works in pro wrestling. You know, I'm sure you guys know that as well as anyone, like the top stars sell the tickets. And if the goal is to sell the tickets, then you keep the top stars happy. And, you know, especially in Japan when it's like the main event is 60, 70% of the reason that people go to these shows, the actual cards. There's a reason that they're announced early. There's a reason that they allow for people to plan because uh, truthfully, like they're hitting the same city half a dozen times a year, but the big show or the guy in your, your favorite guys in the main event you know, you're going to buy tickets to that show and maybe you're going to skip the next tour. So I think that um, having a wrestler in leadership is is probably a positive, but to look back on kind of the business side, um, we've seen the numbers. Brandon has reported the numbers like the, the, the business side growth, the, the nuts and bolts of that have been healthy. Um, but I think, you know, to, to look back on it, um, it was almost in spite of, um, the great wrestling that was going on, like n- nothing could have, could have taken new Japan down during that period. So, um, you know, curious to see where it goes, curious to see what Tanahashi's role is and, and what he continues to say in that particular lane. So, um, but I think that the, the maintenance of the business was really important, especially through the pandemic. So maybe they were the right guys to, to, you know, carry new Japan through that because they did have to, you know, tighten the belt a little bit. Well, Chris, uh, do let everyone know where they can follow along tonight. Um, the the Rambo, I believe, kicks off at 1.30 a.m. Eastern time, and then the main show an hour after that. The Rambo might feel like four hours, but it will only be about 40 minutes. Um, not always my favorite match of the show, but at least, uh, I guess, cleanses the palate for what is to come after. But uh, uh, do let everyone know to, to be following along with the Chris Samsa. Of course, yeah. Um, I, what I will say is the, the, the problem with the Rambo is not the Rambo. It's the 20 minutes between the Rambo and the main card where like the risk of falling back asleep, very high. So be very careful with that. But yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the Chris Samson. I'll be live tweeting during, uh, Wrestle Kingdom. I will share all the stats and info that I sent to the broadcast team, um, as the card goes on. So as each match hits the ring, you'll see something new get posted as well as any kind of anomalies or random things that pop up throughout the card 
Um, otherwise, you can find my full stats and info workup at sportofprowrestling.com. If you go to sportofprowrestling.com, it's the only thing you'll find on the page. It has taken over the site. So you can kind of follow along there or download the PDF that I sent off to Walker and Chris uh, this morning. Uh, if that's a little bit easier for you to uh, follow along with. So check it out. If nothing else, shoot me a tweet and I'll be I'll be I'll be awake and I'll help you all stay awake with me. He'll be up with his coffee and pizza and uh, one man wrecking machine. He is Chris Samsa, who uh, joins us to go over all things New Japan Pro Wrestling and beyond. And thanks so much, Chris. Enjoy the show tonight and uh, we'll be following along. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. All right. Brandon, are you uh, are you going to be taking in Wrestle Kingdom? <clears throat> well, what what time is it starting? Eastern time? U.S. Eastern? The the Rambo is on at 1.30 a.m. Eastern, if I have all things correct. And the main show is at 2.30. Someone correct me if I'm wrong with those times, but I believe that's uh, I the start times. What I have done the last couple of years is wake up early U.S. time. So I'll wake up at like 4 or 5 a.m. And I might catch the, the last couple of matches. Yeah, I've uh I've watched it live most years, but man, does it kick my ass! I have watched day. it live, but in 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 the peak of like uh, in the peak of New Japan, like 2016, the the Omega Okada match in Tokyo mm-hmm. Domain event, I was I was up live for that and and for the surrounding years. Yeah, I'll be very happy when we have a, a distance between Wrestle Kingdom and Dynamite because last year it was the opposite, where it was Wrestle Kingdom into Dynamite that night. Now it's the it's the reverse effect of that. So. Uh, that's what's happening. Did you follow it all along? I ended up watching the Noah card on, on Tuesday and a lot of the attention was on Kota Bushi's performance. He came in hurt. He came, he left the match hurt. And this was, it was a really sad performance against uh, now Michi Marafuji. Like this guy, like, like all due respect, he had no business. Went to the hospital room. afterward, right? Yes. Went to the hospital after looks like, you know, both it's, it seems like he had disclosed that he had like an, an ankle and hand injury going into the match. And he just like all that fire that you assume with a Kota Bushi, it was not there. He like, you could see he had not been doing any significant training in, in preparation because he probably couldn't, um, probably doing very little, little cardio. He just seemed so like, multiple steps slower than usual. And here he is doing like a 30 plus minute match with now Michimara Fuji. And it was just really tough watch. Yeah. I mean, we saw him in blood and guts and he was a different wrestler there too. Yeah. This, you know, he is, he has not been the same since his comeback after the shoulder injury in, in 2021 and probably needs, you know, some significant time off. Um, but anyway, that was an interesting story coming out of uh, Tuesday. And before we wrap up, um, oh, but Kevin Dunn's leaving WWE, Brandon. That's what I've heard. Yes. Um, and it's official, in fact. We've got a report of a all-staff email from Nick Khan confirming it. So it is it is for real. The, ca- the camera cuts are all gone now. Is that right? Yeah. Back while we were all playing Pac-Man, Kevin Dunn was out breaking his back building this yes. company before WrestleMania 1. I mean, could you ask for someone other than Nick Khan to write your uh, your exit memo? I, I, I want Nick Khan to write my obituary, uh, you know. Just It'd be tough. How, how great. It'd be tough. Yeah. So yes, Kevin Dunn gone. Did you did you watch Raw on Monday? I mean, did you see any like seismic uh alterations to I, WWE? I did have part of it on TV. I didn't notice any any big difference, and I don't really expect a strong difference in the production. I think many of his philosophies are are, are baked deeply not into WWE, but into AEW and into the you know the unconscious automatic nervous system of pro wrestling that that uh, has come to know pro wrestling in WWE as one. I think he's informed a lot of 
fans of how they consume pro wrestling, whether knowingly or just subconsciously. I think he has uh, definitely had a significant impact and uh, certainly a guy that has many of his detractors uh, that go with it. Over on the AEW side, they, uh, you know, following Kevin Sullivan's exit last month, we've also got uh, Raphael Morphy leaving yes. for a role at the Barclay Center, Dana Massey leaving her executive position in the merchandising department, and uh, QT Marshall, who is now accepting independent bookings on top of it. So it's some, you know, sizable turnover that you're, you're seeing there of people that maybe are not the names that are going to generate like the largest headlines, but key people in behind the scenes roles. And even more important are, are they going to be hiring from within or outside of these roles that need to be filled? Yeah. And I mean, WWE has laid off a lot of people recently. Um, That's true. In September, there were wide layoffs. There's another round of layoffs. I believe it was December. Um, I don't know if any of the people who were laid off fit into these vacancies that have been created now. Um, but another talent was uh, Andrade Alidolo. His, his contract came to an end for AEW. Um, Mega Peric, who Tony Khan at one point called the number two executive in the company. Um, she seems to, to have moved over to do work for the Jaguars instead, which I think she was already doing for years. Um, so a lot of changes to the slightly to the talent roster, but to their executive team as well. And one other story we wanted to get to the Hollywood reporter, um, whizzed a bunch of different analysts about uh, various companies and their forecast for 2024. And they got Eric Handler of Roth MKM to look at TKO in 2024. And some of uh, Eric Handler's thoughts for the upcoming year, he seems optimistic that Raw is going to get at least a 1.4x increase and feels that the market is undervaluing what this increase is going to be, thinking that it's going to be at best uh, a 1.4x increase so i mean we can uh you know 1.4 x of course that was the increase that smackdown got and seems to be you know he is optimistic about the, the raw deal and even more interesting is that he could see the ufc doubling its its rights deal once it is up in 2025 with espn which is that was a one and a half billion dollar deal that they signed back in 2018 yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a great sense of what the appropriate price is for this TKO stock, given it's combined with UFC now, and it started out at over $100. It's currently, what is it currently seeing at? Is this $79? And it's been down ever since, which I think he mentions, or I think it is mentioned in that article that you're referencing, where it was September 21st that the SmackDown deal was announced, um, and the stock I mean, we've got 20, September 21st marked on this chart right now that we're looking at in video, and that's the turning point for the stock when it goes down. And Endeavor went down with it until um, about October when I believe that's aligning with when they announced that they're going to try to take their company private, and it has risen back up to be about even with where it was six months ago. But um, TKO well down. Um, I, I, what's, what's written in The Hollywood Reporter is that Eric Handler, Handler believes that the – that there's an even lower deal than 1.4 baked into the stock for raw. Um, if that's true, then if they get a 1.4 deal, we should see the stock shoot up. I'm not sure that that's the case. Uh, I think if they come out with a 1.4 deal, maybe it's roughly stays about the same. I'm sure there'll be some initial volatility in the short term, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting, I think we did our prediction show the other day and I said, yeah, 1.4 would be my prediction. It seems like the safest bet for what raw will get a 40% increase over the current deal, $265 million, um, which would put it somewhere over 300 million, I believe. 
Can I throw out one scenario for you to give us a prediction on for 2024? Sure. Yes. What's that? Who and where is the news broken of the raw domestic rights deal? <clears throat> well, who broke it last time? Was it CNBC? Did Alex Sherman have that? The, the SmackDown deal? This most recent thing, um, they announced, they put out a press release. I mean, they, they'll announce that there's a deal. I guess, I guess what you're asking is who will break what the rate do, do you th- is. Do, do, do you think WWE will be the first to announce it or do you think an outlet will have it before WWE puts out, you know, they'll, they'll get the five minute jump? That's up to WWE, I think, right? Like, is it in their benefit to give that scoop to somebody? Um, or is, do they just announce it themselves? Um, if it's a good deal, maybe, maybe that kind of tells you whether or not they're happy, how happy they are with the deal. Do they, do they give that scoop out to somebody, to some, uh, you know, outlet that they want covering them? Like, I don't want to say the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal had a lot of coverage of W in the last couple of years. Um, or, you know, if, like if, if it goes to FX, like does, uh, Pat McAfee get to announce it on, on his show on ESPN? If, if it's a good enough deal. Yes. Okay. Well, we will, that's we good will see that. Pat McAfee. Okay, that's, that's the media, media reporter Pat McAfee. Oh my goodness, not he he's not having a great day. Um, but we're we're not getting into that. We don't we don't <laughs> have to cover football controversies on on top of uh every everything else uh as as it pertains to the world of Pat McAfee. Uh, but there you have it, everyone. All up to date. Uh, big thank you to Phil Strum and Chris Samsa for joining us on this inaugural edition of Pollock and Thurston for the new year and lots to come this year. Don't know what's going to be making news uh, next week. I kind of like how the fact that we we have learned, I think, uh, without even communicating about this, Brandon and I have realized that it's we typically like book a guest like a day before because it's like I, I don't know what's going to be relevant by Wednesday. This news cycle is is wild, Brandon. Yeah, so we 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 booked both of these guests days in advance. We, we did. We 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 did figure these these were going to be uh, noteworthy even even with the passage of time. But yes, uh, can I can I grab one one of, one of the chats from uh, from one of our listeners? Oh, here? let's do it. Uh, Jumanji Hunter asks, do you want to change your predictions from WrestleMania Radio regarding the, the WrestleMania main event, Brandon, uh, where I believe I picked predicted for the WrestleMania main event night two, Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. Um, given the events that took place on Monday night, um, I, I suppose uh, what, what this listener is suggesting is that obviously it's going to be The Rock now. Uh, again, we went this whole show. We didn't even bring up uh, The Rock showing up on two million on, views on, on YouTube as of uh, as of now. And we, we don't have a number yet for Raw. Delayed? Uh, no, we should be getting it this afternoon. I bet the, those who have access to, to Nielsen data itself can probably see it now. Um, I'll probably have it later, but I do not have it right now. It will be interesting. They were going up against, uh, two bowl games, but I mean, you got 22 minutes of that segment, uh, the majority of it featuring Dwayne Johnson. And I would imagine there was a, a big, big spike for that, that particular segment yeah. that, uh, would have taken them, um, you know, probably, probably perform very well on Monday night would be my assumption. And as I brought up on Monday, I mean, this, it just creates a ton of fervor around raw when you have all these different elements. Like if you have the rock for sporadic appearances over this, this quarter that you have CM Punk back in regular rotation, like there's just, there's a lot going on. Not all that unlike, you know, back in 2018, when a lot of people looked at the fact that here was Ronda Rousey coming into WWE. And at that time, that was a very big deal in creating this buzz around the company. And I think they've certainly got that now. And it's not just contingent on on one person, but they have you know, there, there's a lot of excitement around the product and having the rock in there is definitely going to increase that. Yeah. So I, I would look forward to seeing. 
how his quarter hour does. My theory has been that, you know, we're looking at live plus same day viewership whenever we're talking about the ratings. Yes. And so that will include same day DVR viewership and probably until like 3 a.m. I think is the cutoff. Yes. So I, th- I think what we often see is when there's a segment that has a lot of hype and buzz, I bet you've got people who are not watching it live who see maybe on social media what's happening, go back on their DVRs and check it out and then they get counted into the Nielsen data. Um, so I would expect to see a big quarter hour jump. Um, can't rule out that Jinder Mahal isn't a big draw in that case. Um, but yeah, and I think, I mean, Elimination Chamber, Australia, Perth, it's a big building that they're running. I know they have sold a lot of tickets already. Um, I think somewhere around 40,000. Um, and did they it, not, they made the request. Did they not about you said that? I, I have not seen that. Okay, I'm gonna have to look it up because off the top of my head, I, th- I thought you had uh, actually stated that. I-, I know it's been said because I've heard other people uh, repeat it as well, but I will I will check on on that one. Maybe, maybe that's what the the government is really paying for. They're paying for the rock. I guess you you can't dismiss it uh, out of hand. It just seems to be as though if you've got a date on the rock, where are you going to maximize his impact, and is it going to be the February pay per view versus you know the the two nights that we are building our everything around for the next three months. Um, you're right. So we have this from the West Australian tourism bosses make bold pitch for the rock to come to Perth ahead of was that Western Australia's WWE fight. So this does look like maybe we, the whole article is behind a paywall, but that the, the headline yeah. lines up with what you're saying there. Yeah. So it, it sounded like when they made their pitch, like they just threw this in there of like, could this be possible? Not like this was a demand on their part, but I mean, you know, th- that, did come to mind as soon as i saw this it just seems to be as though this is like this is you know it, it's an embarrassment of riches is what they have they have almost too many main events for shows that they have um and i guess that's part of the intrigue too for your audience of now you have s- several different directions of where you can go and that's going to increase interest for the rumble and and what they do in february and what are your destination points for for philadelphia i guess if you think, think about it like this like what what does you take you're going to do a rock versus Roman Reigns match. What incremental value does that add more to? Does it add more incremental value to Elimination Chamber and this notion that we can drive economics to a, to a municipality and drive hospitality economics and sure ticket revenue too, or does that drive more to WrestleMania? That's maybe already going to be kind of maxed out um, when the real bigger area for growth is with site fees as opposed to the WrestleMania brand and, and all the economics around WrestleMania, which are huge. But is that, is that kind of maxed, maxed out? How much room for growth is there in that versus doing this really big match between the rock and Roman reigns that may help you make an argument to future municipalities about how great you, you, you can do for them and how, how great you are for their local economy. And that's the growth area for them are looking at these site fees and the idea that you now it does set things at a high level when you're it's not going to be an apples to apples comparison that we are you <laughs> you you bid on a wwe premium live event you could get the rock and roman reigns but i mean to your point you just don't mention that in the pitch i guess it's you know you don't mention what the main event was and what your main it's event the is brand be. that drew this folks it was <laughs> yes, roman the reigns brand is draw the, the brand is draw acknowledge him yes. um but you're right like it, it will look very favorable of what 
what kind of um, business they can draw and tourism um, if you stage the match of that level um, at a February uh, show, for instance. But um, yeah, it's an interesting debate of like how you maximize this. If he tells you, I've got one match here to do and I can give you three to four television appearances. How can we best um, set, set this in motion and get the most value for uh, what can could conceivably be the last rock match you're, you're going to get at, at this point, or at least have to be under the assumption could be his last significant match. And, and just thinking about what the stadium capacity is of this Optus stadium in Perth, according to, to their official website, their capacity for rugby is 60,000. So I imagine for a wrestling event, yes, big stage takes out a lot, putting people on the field offsets that somewhat. So let's say you're at 40. Now you still got, 10, 20,000 that you could, could add if you put a big match on that lots of people want to travel in to see. You don't see the rock doing France in, uh, in April for backlash. Maybe they'll move it to a stadium. Could, could, could be a, a possibility right there. Well, on that note, everybody, we are going to wrap things up. Um, myself and waiting. We are back uh, tonight with rewind to dynamite. And on Thursday, up at postwrestlingcafe.com, we will have a review of Wrestle Kingdom 18. Bruce Lord is going to join us for that. So we will go through all of the happenings from the Tokyo Dome. And coming up this weekend, it is a free edition of WrestleNomics. That's right. It'll be Sunday, live for everyone, YouTube. Um, well, you, you, as, as I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, now, now, now streaming on X, you can, as we are right now, in fact, we are streaming on Elon Musk's X. And if you reply, I don't, I haven't seen, oh, well, there's one, one comment right now, actually. If you reply to the live stream tweet itself, we will, we do see it live, which is what we always wanted. Uh, just not enough engagement, uh, on, on Twitter, uh, uh, for all of our ventures. So that'll be live 11 a.m. Eastern Sunday, free for everyone and, uh, solo edition. Are you buying or selling on X in 2024? What do you think the uh, the fate of this platform is? The price is pretty low right now, but the product not great either. So, it's kind of a toss up. All right, I'm I'm rallying for for a Threads revival in in 2024. We'll see if it happens. Okay, good luck. That's my that's my prediction for 2024, (laughs) and that's all I'm going to put out. Thanks to everyone for joining us. We're back next Wednesday and every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern here on the WrestleNomics and Post Wrestling channels. That's it. Goodbye.